Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. We recently joined as a member and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot CEO. Don't forget to add the two-on-one podcast in the how did you hear about Podgo section of your application. Now get ready for the rest of the episode. Daniel, we are back. Yes. It's just and the what, two of us. What came home? I believe the cows. Is that what yes. you said? Yes, the cows came home. <laughs> I don't know. You're going to have to explain the reference to me. Yeah, I don't know. I actually, I've heard this before. People saying the cows of like... So and so will not happen until the cows come home. I always kind of thought it was like a greener pastures kind of thing, which would have to do, you know, well with something that, you know, if you're a team like the Buffalo Sabres wanting to look beyond this year, or, you know, you're a team wanting to add that extra piece at the deadline, which I just remembered right now is I remember Brian Burke said sometimes the best moves he did at the deadline was the move he didn't make. Interesting. I've, I I mean, I guess. I mean, yeah. he's not wrong, right? Because think about how many teams, in a way, he's not wrong. Like, how many teams make those big moves and then don't win? That's true. Um, most of them. Only yeah, one, but- like Brian Burke says, only one team can win the Stanley Cup. He double-checked. Mm-hmm. He triple-checked with the league. So, that's only one team. I remember when I was a kid, I'm like, that's an, I'm like oh, that's just an excuse not to add anything to Toronto, but... We love Brian. We, we're, we're wiser now. Exactly. He's an acquired taste. Um, I guess you'll probably notice it's just the two of us, me and you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adam will be back on Sunday, I believe. Some say he's on a train until Sunday. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The um, long train. Because <laughs> we don't know geography from Montreal to Toronto. <laughs> um, I, I guess we should start with the bad stuff. Uh, the upsetting stuff first uh, mm-hmm. to get the show started. Aaron Ekblad is out for the season, which is really unfortunate, right? He was having such a good D, uh, such a good year. Sorry, um, and, and it's like the second year in a row that a Norris contender got injured. Last year it was Dougie Hamilton, and I I think we were he was lucky in a way that he got to come back for um, the bubble. And now it's Aaron Ekblad. What do you have to say about that injury? It's crazy because I think the two things I I think about are when we were doing our preseason awards show, um, I had Aaron Ekblad winning the Norris. I I thought that a lot of the criticism he got in previous seasons, you know, he was still developing into his own. And I think that he really kind of took that step forward to kind of show why he was first overall in 2014 and it's something that Will Christophilus kind of talked to us about, you know, him working with the Panthers that he's kind of seen that, you know, he's finally grown into his own body. You know, he's like almost six foot five. He's a big guy, you know, right hand shot. And he's definitely someone that I, I was cheering for someone that I thought that his story of success this year of being a possible Norris candidate just went so well with the, the Panthers narrative of them just, just doing so well this season and to kind of you know take out that 
key defenseman because one thing we talked about last week as well is this was a defensive core that was just looking to add. Now they're looking to replace. Yeah, you you make a you make a good point. Like last night on insider trading, now they're still looking to add. Um, and, and I I think they were looking to add before, and now they're still looking. Um, one name that I guess isn't happening is Shane Gostaspear. I know there was um, talks about it, and we'll get to him later. But are there any names that you that pop out to you that the team could go out and acquire? To be honest, like when I think about like just the Sean Gossesphere situation, and I know he didn't get claimed, but I think that would have been a nice thing because I think on Twitter everyone's saying, you know, he's a he's a native of uh Florida. Um he's he he's a guy that could, you know, could really move the puck. And I think that it is it is more more than enough time now for him to find a new situation that it's not working in the it's not working in Philly. Um even when, you know, they were they were rolling. He was he was struggling and he's not old at all. He's 27. And that cap hit it, you know, 4.3 million. It really depends on what kind of the te- what kind of team you are, what you could really absorb at the time. But I thought it was a perfect situation. I think the Panthers had the money. They could get someone that, you know, I think for me, it was I just looked at Ekblad, Ekblad's injury and like the amount of usage he had. And I thought, you know, what if you gave Sean Gossesphere another opportunity? to drive the play, to, to play his own game again, you know, to get those minutes because he's not, he's not a guy that could play on the third pairing. He's not a guy that's going to be a shutdown guy. So I thought that something there where, you know, you'll already have like a cornerstone guy like Mackenzie Weger being your anchor defensively, that it's a type of situation where you could get another offensive guy to just do his game. Yeah. And I mean, like I've been saying that for a couple uh, I mean, since the beginning of the podcast about Shane Gossespierre, like, I just feel like he needs a change of scenery. A- and it's true. Like, I feel like that's the easy thing to say here. And you can say that about a lot of guys. Oh, you just need a change of scenery. They just need a change of scenery. But like, it works sometimes. And and I do think that with, the, with him, it's not that he's a bad defenseman. I don't think a guy just completely plummets like that. Um so it'll be interesting. And, and I guess we'll talk about that with the Flyers a little bit later. But I wonder if they become more of a buyer than they, if the Panthers, sorry, became become more of a buyer than they expected uh, with the Ekblad injury. Because do they, they kind of have two options here. Do they go, they, they can go out and get Ekholm, which would cost them a little bit more than a rental. But they know that they have this guy for the next year, um, for next season, or they go out and get a David Savard or a Sammy Vanden or whoever, just a rental piece. And, and you're not going to give up a whole lot. Like, I don't know what the rental D market's going to look like. We don't not their trade hasn't happened there yet. So that'll be interesting to see. I think they really have two options and I have a feeling they're more likely to lean towards the, rental option because of the expansion draft yeah i completely agree like i was about to put josh manson there but again like you know it's so complicated knowing what bob murray and anaheim wants to do with that because he also has term he's a right hand shot uh not really sure with that uh but i i completely agree with you i think 
we've, we've talked about it before where the Panthers are such in a precarious situation right now where you have to look at where they are financially, where they have so many of these guys that have played above their level that, you know, may want to be brought back like an Anthony Duclair. But at the same time, you don't really want to go all in with a lot of things because first, you know, you're giving Sergei Proboski $10 million. And second, you have to give those extensions to those cornerstone guys like a Huberto or a Barkov soon. And I completely agree. Like the fantasy, like the fantasy, the expansion draft is definitely something they have to consider because the Panthers, the way I look at their roster is, and same thing again, what Will Christophilus said last week, like these are guys who are playing above and beyond what they're being paid. Like I think of a Noel Chari or a, a Brett Conley, where these guys have really excelled when they were given the opportunities. And you have to kind of look at like these guys who are in their late twenties that they're going to be exposed because you have so many guys you have to protect now. Right. Yeah. It'll be difficult. I think it'll be more difficult than we expect. I feel like every time we have a discussion about trades, we completely forget about the expansion draft. Um, But with the, with the Panthers, I think it's an important thing to consider. I think every time we have that conversation about the Leafs, the Leafs are in win now mode. Like this, this is one of the crucial years that they need to make. They need to make a run. And considering the division that they're in, they have, I think, a better chance than in years past. But with the Panthers, I I think it's a little bit different. I don't know if this year is win win now. Like I don't know if it's cup or bust. I don't think that's it for the Panthers. I kind of agree with that because. And you know, I'd like to mention like Carter Verhage, least yeah. legend. It's 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 not that he's a bad player or anything. I think he's an amazing player. Personally, like he's been able to kind of work through the system in so many ways. But realistically, I don't expect him to be on this role the same way he's been because it's never really kind of shown in his career beforehand. Like he has 17 goals this year. Right. And really? he just, yeah. Oh my God. And he's, he's just a kind of an example of a guy where, again, he's playing above his contract. He's getting a million dollars this year and then another million next year. Right. So I, I agree that this is probably not the year to really go in, go all in, but it's definitely something where you could build on the success because I think a big thing we kind of think about too is kind of the general interest of the Panthers because I think they were talking about their finals run and I, I forget that that was the last time they made it out of the second round. They made it out of the first round. That was 1996. Wow. And that's definitely something to kind of think about because now I, I, I think about you, you have, you're on this role and you could probably do something to get someone. Like I think of a David Savard as well. He's a right-hand shot that just kind of keep the momentum going, but knowing that things are not done, that, you know, you're not at a place now where you could go all in on these these deals you have to have a lot of a lot of asset management at this point right i think bill z like remember it's bill zito's he's not he hasn't even been there a full year Mm -hmm. i i think there's something bigger there i think he has something bigger there than just a one-year window there's a reason he made the moves he's made um let's move on to a Canadian team, uh, the Vancouver Canucks, who've had a few things come out uh, in recent days. Obviously, yesterday they confirmed Adam Gaudet uh, tested positive, and so obviously we hope he is okay. Um, 
But I, I think there has to be, I wonder what's next. Uh, we just saw the Canadians from two players. Uh, well, now called Kanyemi's off the protocol list. But what what's next with the with the Vancouver Canucks? We haven't really been told what's happening. He was obviously on the ice yesterday. Uh, I, I saw the tweet he was pulled off, and it started off with everyone thought he was traded. Um, obviously, why not? And then it kind of went. They then the team later confirmed that he was on. He tested positive. So. I think they play tonight. Tonight's their first game in over, uh, I believe, a week. So are they still playing? Like, what's the – I'm just curious at what 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 they're doing. We really haven't heard a single thing come out about this. It, kind of, it didn't go under the radar per se, but it is much – it's a lot more quiet than what happened with Montreal. Yeah, to be honest, that silence is quite eerie to me because – yeah, this guy got tested positive and he was with the entire team. Right. Like, you know, what we saw on the ice, you know, in the locker room, everyone's kind of setting up or what they were doing, you know, team activities. So it's it's something where I'm like, okay, should you be playing right now? Because maybe there should be a delay in here, but I don't know what the league's kind of thinking in terms of it because we've seen it in other leagues before where, you know, one guy gets tested, one guy tests positive and, You'll, you'll have a few more delaying games, but it's just what I'm kind of seeing too, even like on sports, it's like, yeah, he tested positive and then we don't really have too much detail on it. And yeah. then what we hear now is like the Canucks are expected to take the ice tonight. It's, it's weird because we've been through this situation before in the US, right? Where a guy tests positive. It happened in Buffalo with Buffalo and New Jersey, right? New Jersey, mm-hmm. I, I don't remember. Off, uh, I believe they had a couple positive tests at that point, or there was a couple guys on the protocol list. And then they still played Buffalo. And then Buffalo got, it, it, it kind of just wiped through the team. And obviously we heard the story from Rasmus Ristolainen of what it's like. So it's weird because they took the precaution with Montreal. They said, okay, here's two guys. Um, and it's, and it's beat. And it, the fact that it's in Vancouver as well, and it's still kind of really silent is interesting because we looked at the, it, the past and what the BC government has done in terms of allowing teams and the league to come to British Columbia, they've been quite strict with those rules. And to hear absolutely nothing either tells me everyone else is tested negative and they're going to test negative again today, or it's just really quiet. And like you said, it's really eerie and kind of scary. I think, I don't know. And it's just something I think about is the bubble mentality of we look at sometimes other areas like, oh, look how bad it's there, but you know, we're okay here. And I think for so long, people kind of held on to that idea that in the North division, things are fine. We don't have as many cases that uh, when I think about like other teams where you look at the Colorado Avalanche, the Minnesota wild, like these teams, they had like so many players, they had staff on the COVID protocol list that they had games wiped out for more than a week that, you know, they were pretty open about, okay, these are the guys that happened and this is what happened. Like, for example, Michael Russo had a, f- had a feature with Marcus Foligno. He, he was fully, fully honest about what the situation was with the team that, you know, he described himself as a bit of patient zero on, on the squad and that how it kind of affected everyone. But 
that's the thing. They took the measures to it. I think with this, it's just like this thing is kind of happening. But I know it's it's like the way they announce it. It's like we have a fatigue of knowing what's going on that it's just in a way and like it's not business as usual, but it felt like it where you get the announcement and the game keeps on going. It's like, no, it's it's one player. It's a guy that, you know, he confirmed he, had, he was he tested positive. He's not just on the, you know, the protocol list. It's an actual case. So for me, it's just get out of that bubble mentality that that Canada is, quote unquote, safe from all of this, that in the sports world of hockey, that it's it's safe from what what else is kind of going on. Yeah, I think we went. I think we were very fortunate, and I think I said this as well when uh, Kotkaniemi and Armia were put on the protocol list and the games were suspended. I said I think we're we were very lucky in Canada that I think the players really bought in, and, and they probably still are. Like I, ha- no one has any idea how these guys like are uh, how these guys got tested positive, right? So I'm not going to sit here and make accusations of what they were doing. I, I still think they they really bought into this idea that, hey, if we need to do for us to do this, we're going to follow the rules here. Because if we don't, it could be not great for us, right? So I still think it's important. We got fortunate that they're, they've bought into this idea, but we have, like you said, it, we're not like there's still cases here. Cases are rising in Ontario. Uh, hospital ICUs are rising in Ontario. This morning I read they were the highest they've ever been in the pandemic. Right. So mm-hmm. clearly it's still here. We should not, we shouldn't be surprised per se. I think we should say, Hey, wow, we went this long. Like it's we're over halfway through the season and we've only had uh, three games postponed. Yeah. So, but that's the thing. I think like that's, that's that idea. It's just, but when you see it, you gotta, you gotta deal with it properly. Right. I don't think I have, but I guess like looking forward to like looking beyond that. And I think looking at the Canucks right now, just they're, they're in a bit of a weird situation too. Well, yeah, they got a couple guys. They, they want to resign. Um, I saw it yesterday. I, I guess it was on insider trading as well. They start, they finally started after like over 20 days, we're now going to start talking to Tanner Pearson. Can you, Dana, can you explain something to me what this idea here is? Because this is the third time now I've heard that we're going to wait to talk to a guy, right? They said with Pedersen and Hughes, we're going to wait until the end of the season. Um, and with now with Tanner Pearson, it's, well, it's been 20 days. Let's talk to him. I think that... The way I see it, and you know, it's not a good way to see it, but I think kind of Pearson, it's because he wants to be there, that you know, he's really rejuvenated his career there, that he's really kind of you know carved out a role there that the Canucks kind of the Canucks management kind of know that that he's a guy that wants to stay. And you know, honestly, if they get a cap hit that they're comfortable with, then like why not? But I think that it's it's another it's another case of delaying things because they don't really know what they are at this point that i think tanner pearson is a solid player but i wouldn't invest in him if you think that you know you're going to have to take a bit of a step back with the younger core with kind of knowing what's your price point for your restricted free agents that moving forward 
you're going to have to think about the money. Think about how this is going to affect everybody else. Because honestly, like they are still in a horrible situation with their cap that I, I like that. And we're going to mention them after like that. Your Demko, you know, it's kind of worked out eventually, but this is not really the season to kind of keep on adding these other guys that I kind of feel that, or investing into them because I don't know if it's going to be a long-term deal, but you know, kind of investing in these, these guys that complement the core when you don't really know how, how to establish the length of that contract you're going to have for them because, or what you're going to do with them because like overall these guys, like, you know, a Quinn Hughes and a Lice Patterson, they're going to demand, like they're going to demand what they deserve. And, and like, I have their cap friendly up. And since we know the cap isn't moving, they next year they're going to have $25.7 million in cap space, which seems like a lot, right? Like mm-hmm. that's, that's a significant chunk of change. Uh, they have to re-sign Elias Pedersen. They have to re-sign Thatcher Demko. And they have to re-sign uh, Quinn Hughes and Adam Goddett. Not to mention they still have to re-sign Brock Besser. Not uh, this season, but next season. So you're right. Like it, I think the Vancouver Canucks are in a difficult situation because they don't have like they have multiple deals on their books that the rest of the league and the fans look at and say, "Oh no!" And are you going to put yourself in that situation again? Like, are you gonna? You have to get a good deal for Tanner Pearson. Yeah. Right. You can't sit. You can't do another one of those deals. And he has been really good for the, for, for the team. Uh, and, and you're right. Like he's rejuvenated his career. I mean, he kind of tailed off at the end of that last year before he went to Pittsburgh, but man, as soon as he, it seems as soon as he got to Vancouver, it went back to being those really good LA King though, when he was on the Kings. Mm-hmm. Which is so, funny with playing on the same line, winning the cup and being on Vancouver with, you know, his buddy Tyler Toffoli. Like, I don't want this to be another case for them because, you know, honestly, Jim Benning has been so lucky with finding these guys that just fit the system so well. It's just a matter of knowing how to keep them because I look at, you know, what they're prepared to lose in the off season and, you know, it's a lot. It's it's going to be another depth drain to them because I also look at who's coming up next, and you know they have the Cole Lind, which is great. They have they have you know the Jonah Gajokovic, and they you know they have the Jet Wu, but you know I I don't expect these guys to take on huge roles. Or even like we look at this year with the Niels Hoglander, you know he had a pretty solid start to things, but you know again he tapered off, and it's not because he's a bad player; it's because he's still learning how to play in the NHL. So when I when I think of this team, it's 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 confusing to me because they've been so lucky with the guys they've got, you know, with the picks they got where they were selecting, but they're still trying to struggle with that identity um, aspect. I think you you said it perfectly. There's gonna be a depth. It's gonna be. It's not gonna end. It could go one of two ways. It could go horribly wrong or it can go well. It could go really well. Like, because like similar to K- 
contending teams. Look at Tampa Bay, what they had to do. Like, yes, they had to give up a first to, or they had to give up multiple two first, right? One to get Barclay Goudreau, one to get Blake Coleman, but they're going out and getting the depth guys that fit on their team. Like the, Yes, these guys like a guy like Blake Coleman can probably play in your top six if you wanted him to, but he's really a more of a I guess depth piece on that team considering the talent they already have. Look at what the like the Leafs what the Leafs have done in going to a, trying to at least go out signing Jimmy VC. Well, unfortunately, Jimmy VC didn't work out. Now he's on Vancouver. A guy like Travis Boyd who did work out for the Leafs again on Vancouver. Um, like you have to make sure you go out and get the depth pieces. Like you don't have the cap space to sign a $2 million middle six guy. You, sorry. You got to go out and get your $900,000 guy or your guy from college or your guy from overseas. Like it's just what happens to teams. What happens with a lot of good teams. And I think at the end of the day, Vancouver is a good team. It's just, they, it just hasn't, the it man it has not been managed well. It hasn't been. And even if we like look now to like Thatcher Demko and like what is he gonna demand? Because you know, playoff Demko is back. He's like, really kind of shown it in March that you know this is the goalie he's gonna be, this is the goalie he can be. And I think it's kind of time now that for the amount of patience they had for them to they let him go to college for three years. He came in and then he he was gradually brought up that he is a guy that could be for their future now, but I, I think that like, how is that going to be in terms of cost? Because I'm checking now cap friendly and they're still paying Roberto Luongo. It's not going to be cheap. Yeah. I, I don't think it's going to be cheap. Like you have um, Braden Holtby on your roster at four or where is it? $4.3 million. If I thought your Temco, I'm better than Braden Holtby. Like, clearly. Like, I think this season has showed it. And I know he's a UFA, and I know Thatcher Demko's an RFA with Arbrights. The last year and a half, I mean, yes, he started slow, but he's been pretty good. He's, he's definitely, I think, the catalyst to what's been, you know, they're the recent turnaround this season and that he's been able to kind of really kind of show that he could be that anchor guy that, you know, we've talked about so many times about losing Jakob Markstrom, but now, you know, Jim Benning. Yeah. Like he, he bet right on this by giving Demko most of the starts now, but again, yeah, it's time to pay the guy. It's time to kind of establish like this core long-term. Right. Do you, would you say, because I, I think I'd say yes, would you say that Thatcher Demko has put himself into a position where he is part of the long-term core of this team? Yeah, I think so. That it's already it's it's time. They've they've given him he's given them a lot of opportunities. I mean, he's gone back and forth to Utica. He's been able to kind of to kind of just kind of show at you know really every level you know the real juniors at college in the AHL that he's a proven formula he's a proven guy that you know you you know what you're going to get out of him and quite honestly like given his age as well I don't know if he's going to take a bridge deal like 
if he's like a Tanner Pearson and maybe loves Vancouver, then probably like I know like in terms of probably getting like the two three years, but I think he's gonna seek long term this time. I I don't see why he wouldn't like. If I look at that team and, you know, yes, I know it's mismanaged, but I think they have something there, man. Like uh, you bring in JT Miller, great addition to the team. You already have Bo Horvat. You already have Brock Besser. You have Elias Pedersen. You have Quinn Hughes. You have Vasily Colson, who eventually is going to come here. Like you have a team there. You have something I would consider special. Yeah, I'd want to stay long-term. Like, I, I don't think this is going to be a mess forever. No, and I think I eventually agree. someone's going to get fed up and fire Jim Benning. I think there's just there was just too many mistakes. And I don't think he can come out again this summer and let these things drag on and drag on and drag on and say we ran out of time again. Because that right. would be yeah. embarrassing. One question. Yeah. Who do you think gets fired first? And I'm not saying like it's a, you know, because honestly, I think it's just not based on the person, but more of just the work they've been able to do with their team. Is it going to be a Bob Murray or a Jim Benning? I I, I think Jim Benning because I think Jim, the Vancouver Canucks are a little farther down the line. Like they're much farther down the line than the, than the, um, Anaheim Ducks. Sorry, I forgot forgot Bob Murray there for a second. Um, they're farther down, so the patience is less. You this you said, well, I ran out of time. Well, first off, that's not a great excuse. Uh, you had, I'd say, you had plenty since the day he was traded to your team to sign Tyler Toffoli. With Bob Murray, I think there's so there's mult so many pieces in place in a way like you have. Your cupboard is pretty full. The only way Bob Murray really gets fired is if he just, he really screws it up. What's an example for you? Like, I think if we're a few years down the line and this team is still very messy, then we're having a discussion because he's, something's not right. Like, I think there's more patience in Anaheim than there is with the patience in Vancouver, because with Anaheim, you have the pro- a lot of prospects there. You And plus, you already have an elite goalie. Like, you've solved the problem that a lot of teams in the league don't need to, do, like, that need to solve, because you have you already have an elite goaltender. You have Trevor Zegras. You have Maxime Comtois. You have Jamie Dreiser. Like I can, you could probably list more prospects than me here. There's less. There's less patience in Vancouver, right? and I think that's what would get Jim Benning fired first. Mm-hmm. I can um, agree with you. Yeah. There. Yeah. Uh, just we'll we'll move on from Thatcher Demko. We'll go to another goalie who is not having a great season at all. Uh, and it's Carter Hart. And Elaine Vino uh, confirmed a couple days ago that he's going to be a healthy scratch for the next two games. And they've already played one. That was a thrilling one, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, I, and yesterday or last night on Insider Trading, they were talking about Philadelphia contemplating bringing in a goaltender to give Carter Hart a reset in a way. I mean, there's an obvious candidate here. If if there's a, 
if there's a guy, it's got to be Jonathan Bernier, right? Mm-hmm. I think so. Like the Flyers, they're not really kind of they're not shy to spend money. That you know, Bernier he might get his cap. You know, you know, but there might be a bit of rent tension there from the Red Wings. But for me, honestly, I'm not too shocked in a way. I'm not saying Carter Hart's a bad goalie. I think he's an amazing goalie. But, you know, based on his age and the amount of games he's already played at this point, that it's just, this is this is going to happen. That, you know, there's going to be a lot of bad games like this because, honestly, like, goalies don't emerge this quickly. Right. They usually don't. Like, even if you look at Carey Price, he didn't become a full-time starter until he was, like, 22, 23. They still had Cristobal Huey, um, the splitting games with him or even if I look at like further back Mark and Drake Fleury like I he came in as an 18 year old in the NHL but they realized like you know this is not an environment or you know you're not you're not playing in a way that we need you to play let's get a reset let's send you back to the real juniors let's set you back to the Cape Breton Screaming Eagles and it's always happened like that like even, you know, later in his career, when I think about it, and he's still kind of young, when he was struggling, you know, you bring in a, you bring in a Thomas Vokun. So it's it's something when I think about when young goalies, because, again, like their development is so much more different than other players that I, I feel for the guy, but I don't think it's a sign of he's a bad goalie now. It's just it's part of the development process for Carter Hart. Do you, and I know obviously we're looking at this with hindsight. Do you think they made a mistake in just kind of handing him the starting position last season? Do you think it might have been better for him if they went out and had a 1B type goalie? I think, yeah, it was kind of a bit of a rush there. Again, like given his age, given where he was drafted as well. I think the Flyers kind of really ran with it. Like, you know, they really hit on that second round pick and they ran with it. Because when you look at their history of goaltenders, even if, you know, like you'll have the Robert Escher, the Roman Czechmanic, they were good for like a year. But if you really look back on it, like they haven't had a consistent guy in net since Ron Hextall. Right. And so I think they jumped Ron, the gun there. And speaking of Ron Hextall, remember he, like, I don't know if it was the main reason he got fired, but it was one of the things that they butt head they butted heads on was bringing Carter Hart up. And Ron Hextall was of the opinion that hey, no, 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 he's not ready yet. Keep him down there a little bit longer, and. I, I don't know if he's necessarily right. Per, right, yeah. I think he is. I think at the time he was NHL ready, but I don't know if him playing the majority of the games necessarily helped him. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Where, you know, who know who who better to kind of assess that than you know literally your your franchise goalie like the guy that you who you know you had your winning years with in Ron Hextall someone who's a cornerstone guy that he kind of knows like yeah wait a minute I could see a few things that you know probably you can't you know I'm not saying anything but I think he was probably the one guy in that management team that played 
played goalie in the NHL, and I, I agree too. Like he's such, it's it's such a it's such a weird thing because when I think now you look at what we just talked about with Thatcher Demko, where you know, great on them, they they really gave him the patience he needed to to develop, and he's been able to kind of you know roll with a team that you know gives up a lot of shots on him but that's the thing he's further along in the development and they let him play in the ncaa but with carter hart it's just again i've seen it before and i'm not saying that this is one of the main reasons but the whole rule junior gloss over it i'm not going to use justin pogi as an example i'm going to use like steve mason he came in he won the world juniors he also won with jonathan bernie that was a fun fact there and he went to when he went to when he finally arrived in columbus he won the calder trophy and that was his best season. <laughs> like he became a solid starter, um, ironically for Philly, but he never hit those same numbers again. And that just kind of happens when it when you you throw a goalie into the fire this quickly because they need the time to develop. Not everyone like again, like and I'm gonna use Carey Price for example. Adam's probably gonna be able to kind of comment on this a lot better than I have, but I just remember when he was being called up that he didn't play in the 2006 season. You know, he played in the real juniors two years after he was drafted, Carey Price, and they still limited his starts when he came to the NHL. Right. It, it's a tricky, it's a tricky situation. Like I, I'm not going to stay, sit here and say, well, I could have done this. I, I would have done this. I would have done that. Like, I think we're lucky that we can view it with hindsight. Um, so, so I'm not, I, it's difficult to say what, oh, well, you know, I would have done this. I would have done that. But looking at it now, maybe playing him 75% of the games last year or around that wasn't the best move. Maybe having a more like, yes, Brian Elliott is, is a good backup goalie, but maybe having someone who is more of a 1B type goalie would have been better for the team and for him. Like he's what, how old is Carter Hart? 21, 22, 22. Like he's still young. He's 22 years old. And at the same time, I don't necessarily think the entire, everything is solely on goaltending here. There's clearly something missing. And we've talked about it before. Uh, Yesterday they sent, uh, Shane Gossage beer on waivers wasn't claimed. I, I wonder what's happening. Is this maybe this has something to do with a move coming? Because again, they're one of the teams who were in, who were potentially in on adding a defenseman. Yeah, and I think too, like Travis Konecki has also commented on it that you know they're they're playing. You know, I can't use the word here, but they're you know they're not playing. They're playing like s word, and yeah. he mentioned that it's it looks worse on Carter Hart than it really is. It's, it's kind of like the whole team as a unit that's really failing him. And again, like I think when you look at the flyers from last year and the flyers from this year, last year was more of a lightning in the bottle approach where, you know, you're going to have the hot hand of a lot of your forwards, especially like a Sean Couturier. You're going to have a Carter Hart that comes up and, you know, plays amazing for you into the playoffs. And I think, they had that idea now, even when they've been struggling where they haven't been the same team, but they said, listen, like where, where was that from last year? And I think management is just trying to capitalize on that, that again, like I'm not saying this was probably why Ron Hextall got pushed out because you know, it's all speculation, but 
he wanted a bit of the slower approach, but I think the Flyers, especially for the core they have, for the the age of the amount of money they've been given, that they they're under pressure a lot to win. They're under a lot of pressure to make those deep runs again because, again, like they haven't made the finals since 2010. Right. They got a. It's weird because I think now there's with last season the way people view this team is very different. Um, and rightfully so, right? Like they're a hell of a good team. So, I, I mean, I, I don't think this season really is say should say a lot to management. I think it says, well, wait a second here. Let's take a step back. Clearly we're missing something. That's what it should say. For me, that's what it says. I don't think it means, well, this guy's not good enough. This guy's not good enough. Well, no, take a step back here. Like they were a really good team last year on paper. Players individually worked really well. So clearly, you know, what did they lose? Matt Niskanen. And we've had this discussion. Maybe he was uh, he was of more importance than we thought he was when he retired. Um, like this team is good. I don't think it's a matter of if it's a good or, you know, was last year an anomaly. I think this year is an anomaly. Probably. Yeah. I, I I can kind of see it. And, you know, they've been the injuries here and there. There's been just kind of like a collective, a collective feel that we've seen with other teams that the morale isn't the same as it was before that they're not playing at a certain level. I think like there's certain exceptions, like Scott Lawton has really kind of emerged. Yeah. You know, nine years after he was drafted that he's finally shown up that there, there are those like those great stories with things but it's again like it's a lot of like the guys getting paid it's a lot of the, the big name guys that they're just having these off years right and you you brought up low morale it can't get any lower than what is happening in buffalo i don't think there's anything lower than that to be honest, at this point, that the amount of like even the players speaking up now, I don't know even what to say anymore because I feel like I'd just be repeating myself. But they're still losing. They were uh, up, they were up three nothing. Well, we just talked about them, the Philadelphia Flyers. They were up three nothing against Philadelphia. I didn't think it could be done. They came back. Philadelphia came back and beat them in overtime. I just love that. It was like Sabres watch about what was going to happen. And I remember, uh, you know, shout out to these two guys in the program, Tom Peppers and uh, Will Chris- Christophilus, where they had is like, is it going to happen? Is this the night on Twitter? They were kept, they kept tweeting about like, is this really the night they're going into the third grade with a three zero lead? But again, for, for the Sabres, that's, you know, you know what was the icing on the cake for me with that game? What? They missed an empty net goal. And then they got scored on, and then they lost in overtime. Like it's, it's just, it's like, I know it was just the collective collapse, but of the team, but it just it feels so scripted, like it it felt like a movie. It felt like Miracle on Ice. Well, like Miracle on Ice did happen, but just not the game itself, but the cinematics of the Disney movie. <laughs> it's embarrassing. Like it, it just. It keeps getting more embarrassing, but it's like, man, why? 
what's this 18 games 19 games now it's a uh, 18 it's they're tied for the record right now oh with my the god 2003 2004 penguins that was the the year they got malkin they could beat that record tonight they play philadelphia again at 7 30 I don't know, like, I mean, I think it'd be funny, but it's like, I feel so bad for Buffalo Sabres fans right now because it's like, I thought what I had to go through with the Leafs was bad. No, this, that's not it. This, this is worse. Like I knew they were bad. This, when we went, when we had the discussion about the Buffalo Sabres, I said, ah, Maybe they could do well. Like on paper, their team looks better than it was last season. Jack Eichel's a year older and a year better. Mm-hmm. No. no. Like nothing. Like, I don't know. We had like, what I liked about our predictions for them was that we were excited from the amount of moves they were able to do that after, you know, last season, they were kind of understanding like, hey, this is what we kind of have with a Jack Eichel. Let's try to add some pieces, but it just somehow made it worse. It's, it's, it's just, it's just so weird to me, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's no longer dunking on the players in a way because, you know, Eric Stahl, we, 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 you know, we gave him a lot of praise for the player he could be, he could, what he could still be for the Montreal Canadiens. It's just, it's just, it's an anomaly. And like, don't look at his Buffalo stats, but again, it was with Taylor Hall. It's just, I know they're gauging the market for him, but it's just it's just another thing where it's like you're gonna what I think about is you're gonna get more assets. You're probably gonna use these on, you know, I'll 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 give them the benefit of the doubt. They might get a first round pick, they might get like a solid prospect out of this, one or the other, or both. And you think someone's gonna you you think someone would give up a first round pick? I don't know. If you're like when they mentioned I, I remember like they were talking about like the contenders kind of doing something like that. I'm like Again, like I think a Taylor Hall is the same value as like a a Blake Coleman with term. <laughs> in like not in like not in the skill, but in terms of like the value, what you can get around the deadline. But at the same time, like I'm gonna see it this way. They're gonna get more future assets to kind of draft another guy that is just gonna probably be a good individual player, be a solid individual player, but it's again, it's the same environment they, they get thrown back into. Exactly. I think it's bigger than the team on the ice because if you go back, if we go back and listen to what we said at the beginning of the year, the players together on paper were not were not horrible. I thought, you know what, a better team than last year. But now, the, I think it's bigger. There's no way it can't be bigger. I don't know if you can look at this team and say, nope, they're not great. When they traded Marcus Johansson for Eric Stahl, no one expected things to get worse. When they signed Taylor Hall, no one expected things to get worse. So whether it's the coach, whether it goes past the GM, whether it goes to the owners, there is something wrong here. Will said it last episode. You ha- like The way this can get fixed is by putting experienced people in positions. Like, sorry, like, I think Kevin, like, I, I, I'm I very for people, new people being put into positions. But 
it's not working here. No, it's not like they Jason Botterill, Kevin Adams, like Kevin Adams have made has made some great moves, but what's happening? Again, they don't know how to capitalize with it. That they don't really have the system to kind of bring out the best of them. Because I remember one positive story in the offseason was getting a player like Eric Stahl. You know, this is a guy that has played on the first line before with a Jeff Skinner in Carolina. Maybe you could get that guy going again or a veteran voice that you have in the locker room that, that gives you more of that center depth beyond Jack Eichel that, you know, it was, it was so promising there. It was also with Taylor Hall that for what the, what the player he is that even on that, you know, scoring deprived coyotes team he still had solid numbers you know they're not mvp numbers but he was able to do what he was what he was kind of afforded and it's just i don't know the the whole thing where it just it was it was kind of a redemption year i found for the sabers that finally that you're gonna you're gonna find some way to build around jack eichel and it just again it's gotten worse it's gotten to a point now where we're we're gonna have to rebuild out of our previous rebuild like there was nothing in between that that if they're gonna have to do that that's gonna be rough and it's you're probably right that that's what they're gonna have to do but it's that's gonna be rough um moving from one well they're not as this this next team isn't as bad but it could be better uh the columbus blue jackets and patrick line why does explain this to I saw two things uh, over the last few days. Number one, it's from Jesse Pollock from TSN. Uh, Patrick Laine has one goal and three assists in his last 16 games. Now, remember, didn't he had like six goals in his first 10? Um, and yesterday, Aaron Portsline of The Athletic wrote an article The Blue Jackets attempt. Attempts to make Patrick Line a 200-foot player and a power forward aren't working. Okay, so two things. I think the first thing is, and I'm not saying this is this is you know a good understanding of it, but what I kind of feel is they're trying to make him into a player that fits more of the Tortorella system than letting Line play as the player he, that has made him so successful that I, I kind of feel that you're trying to just, I think like, okay, at this point, like when I, when I, when I read that, I kind of at a point now where I find with Columbus is that they, 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 they fallen in love too much with, you know, the quote unquote system of what works for them that, you know, we're not going to get, we're not going to get, you know, the high flying scoring guys. We're going to need guys who are responsible, but, you don't try to do that, you know, in the middle of the season. You don't try to do that to a guy where you got him for what you know what he was already, and that wasn't a power forward type of player. You you gave up a power forward type of player for him, but right. you're not going to be able to change that on the fly. You actually gave up two power forward type players to bring in two, uh, well, I guess Max Domi's like, would say he's a playmaker i guess in a way and in a goal scorer like you took josh anderson and pierre luc dubois out of this team and inserted max domi and patrick lining neither of those players are working right now 
and and it's not like they're bad players. I think last year Max Domi lost his job to Nick Suzuki and Yusberry Kodkinyemi. It happens, yeah. It, it happens. I don't like at what point is it I think there's blame to be served on both sides here. I think, yes, you know what? The, one of the important parts of being an NHL player now is the 200-foot game. I don't think you can just be the goal scorer. And I think Alexander Ovechkin is the perfect example of that. How many of his first seasons where it was just, I'm a goal scorer, I'm a goal scorer, I'm a goal scorer? That's what it was. And that was still – that was under – uh, for a portion that that was under a Barry Trotz system, but he changed, right? He added that, that different element to his game. So I think in that point, yes, Patrick Liney does have to change a little bit here. Like it can't all be goals, goals, goals. Look at Austin Matthews, how over the last uh, two years, his 200 foot game has changed at the same time. Your general manager just traded two power forwards to bring in more skill. And now you're telling me you're going to change these guys or one of these guys into a power forward. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah. I kind of agree with that because again, like, you know, this is, this could, this could really change depending on who the blue jackets are in the standings. But when I think about, that system they've fallen in love with. It's also, they've become accustomed to the guys they've had there already that have bought into the system so well that they expect anybody to kind of be there long-term or, you know, be there as a big piece to make, to make that kind of adjustment. When I think about, and I think about like an Oscar Bjorkstrand or, you know, a Gustav Nyquist or uh, Cam Atkinson, you know, these are Tortorella guys that, yeah, great. You fit the system, but you, I, these are guys you're not going to win a championship with. These are guys that you're not going to build a contender with. You know, they, they are guys that you could add to a contender, but they're not guys that are going to carry your offense for you. I think, I think now, honestly, they lost the trade in a way that not saying that line a is a worse player than Pierre Luc Dubois, but it's like what you said is just that they had guys already in place that fit the system so well. It's just, they didn't know how to keep them. And again, it's, it's like the Rick Nash situation, Rick Nash, a perfect guy that has played the Columbus system. You know, even if Tortorella wasn't there, that he was responsible with his two way game and he still put up 40 goals a season and you still pushed him out. Like, I don't, I, I just don't know what Columbus is trying to do because I admit I was a fan. I was a fan when they went out and they went all in, you know, with the with Matt Duchesne, you know, Ryan Dezingle. But at this point, it just it's just like they're just treading now. It's they're not they're not trying to get to the next level kind of thing. It's just like you know we're just trying to get through it. And and like if we go back and look at that Dubois, uh, Dubois line trade, I think. You know, looking at it now, and I know it's still it's 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 only been it hasn't even been a full season. But the way things have gone, number one, if John Tortorella's coach next year for the Columbus Blue Jackets, I don't know if Patrick Line is still there, but I could see Pierre Luc Dubois being there past this contract. Like I haven't heard a single bad thing come out of Winnipeg since he got there, and and. 
But the both, like the thing is, both teams got what they needed. Columbus needed scoring. Well, I mean, at the time we thought Patrick Line, like this is a guy who can score 30 goals in his sleep. And then they needed, uh, Winnipeg needed a top six center. Pierre-Luc Dubois, here you go. And it's working really well for Winnipeg right now, and it's not working great for um, Columbus. And I, at the end of the day, I still think both sides, like there's blame on both sides here. Line A needs clear, like, yeah, man, like, sorry, to, you need to play a little bit more 200-foot game. It's not just offense, offense, offense. But, hey, you have a 40-goal potential. Like, this guy, we could be having discussions of this guy being up there for the Rocket Richard for the next how many years. Use him the way he should be used. I, I completely agree. Um, when you also mentioned the Alex, Alex Ovechkin adjustments, I could even say the same to like Ilya Kovalchuk where – you know, he really, for those years that he was with New Jersey, he bought into the Lou Lamorello system. He bought into that uh, Pierre DeBoer system where, you know, that uh, you have to really play a two-way game. You have to back check. You know, you have to be responsible when you're not having the puck with you. Or another, you know, worst case scenario too is the Minnesota Wild, not this iteration, but the 2012-2014 iteration where, they needed scoring and what do they do? They get Danny Heatley. But again, you know, you can't just say like, I'm going to get a pure goal score and that's going to solve everything. It's just, again, it's the system again, that, that it just didn't fit. And I, he, like Heatley, you know, he was already a bit older at that point, but he just didn't adjust it um, at all uh, either. And it's the same thing that I finding with Patrick Line. Right. Yeah. Like, I think it's the, it's easy to say, well, you know, it's Patrick Line's fault or it's John Tortorella's fault. But I, I don't think that's the case. I think there, there's blame to be put on both sides here. And to dig in and say, well, it's only one person's fault. I don't know if that's necessarily uh, true. Before we move on, do you have anything else to add to this? Um, I think I'm just going to be on the Columbus, like, again, Columbus watch. Not on the Sabres watch, kind of like, oh, did they win or not? But just really really see like what Columbus is going to look at beyond this season because they have to think about where they're going to dedicate a lot of this money towards, or even, you know, when Max Domi is going to need a new contract eventually, like, do they really have a good idea of who they are and what they're trying to build with that system? Uh, It'll be, I mean, by the looks of it, not really, but like, I think they need to decide is torts, the guy moving forward or is he worth it like is he worth <laughs> this these 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 narratives these uh scenarios i mean my guess is i don't know if yarmo kekalainen's the type of guy to really care about the narrative in the media i don't think i have a feeling most gms aren't like that but yeah man like it does it, it there is a cost associated with all these narratives eventually um but we'll see. Uh, two, there's two signings, and we I brought up one of them to you before the podcast. It is now official. Uh, both Matthew Boldy, uh, last year he was drafted by the Minnesota Wild. I want to say 12th overall. Yes, 12th. But he was ranked seventh, so you know it was a steal. Steal. And he's going to be headed to the AHL. And 
they just announced this now. The Florida Panthers have signed Spencer Knight. One of the best goalie prospects <laughs> in the world. Yeah. So I, I brought I wrote down Boldy because I wanted to ask you about him, but I, I thought I'd include Spencer Knight here too, just because we brought in brought him up multiple times before. Let's start with Spencer Knight. What does that mean for the goaltending in Florida moving forward. I don't know. Like, to be honest, like he's going to for sure start in the AHL. They're going to see what he can do. And I think they're going to probably moving move him along. Um, I'm not really sure because, you know, you still have Chris Drieger, as we've mentioned. And do you, you don't, you don't really have to rush anything. Like I think like with Spencer Knight being a goalie and maybe we don't know, like, Carter Hart being a cautionary tale right now, just you let the guy play as many games as he can. You know, you could give him the age, the NHL appearance here and there just to get assimilated with everything, but be patient with him. I think he's a great goalie. I think, you know, sometimes I, I didn't really go into the hype of things. Even at the draft, I remember when people were mentioning, oh, the Panthers took him 13th. But he's shown it. He's shown at every single level of what he's capable of being. And it's exciting because the Panthers, they, they've hit on their picks recently. And that's been good for them because there, there was a time where you just you just didn't know what you were getting with them. And he, he provides a lot more stability in the pipeline. And it's kind of interesting that I know that the seasons are done, but it's 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 gonna be a bit more difficult. It's gonna be the same thing I'm gonna mention with Matt Boldy and you know Kuro Kaprasov, even if you add him into the situation that you burn one year of their entry level deal and it puts them closer towards restricted free agency and you know towards UFA a lot later on. That it it adds another layer to the goaltending scenario in Florida because you're gonna still like Presumably, all things go well. Spencer Knight emerges. You're still going to be paying Sergey Brabovsky for a very long time. Yes, uh, and he's already 32. Oh boy, man, that uh, Sergey Brabovsky took a lot of money from a lot of other goaltenders. Yes. <laughs> all he had to do was just work out in in Florida. Markstrom would have got paid. Leonard could have got paid. Whatever. They still got good contracts. Um, I want to ask Matt Boldy. Obviously, you write about the Minnesota Wild for the hockey writers. So what does this signing mean, you know, this year and for the future? Um, I think it's a great one. Um, and I'm going to rely a lot on the research right now for Michael Russo. Excellent uh, updates he's been providing. You know, I, I wish to uh, have a column like that one day and be able to, you know, publish things at 8 a.m. every morning. Amazing. But with him, Matt Boldy, and it's I, I just one funny story before we get into like his actual play. But apparently, like he was considered a steal in the draft, as I mentioned. He was ranked seventh. He went twelfth to the wild. And apparently the assistants and people within the organization had to force Paul Fenton's like, no, please pick the guy. <laughs> like, please pick the guy. Um he's he's been great. He's he's really excelled already in the NCAA and there are speculation too that he actually decided to sign this year because he's taken the Cole Caulfield 
approach with things that he decided like even even during like the tournament whatever's going to happen that he's probably going to come to the come to the NHL the AHL and he's going to leave school because he's kind of done everything he's kind of wanted to do already in the NCAA and it's it's going to be another thing too for the wild because they have so many guys to resign as well and when i mentioned Kirill Kaprizov it's because they had to burn the first year of his entry level last year. And then now he's a lot closer towards free agency. Right. And it's the same thing with Matt Boldy now where he, he's probably going to play for the IO wild for most of the games this year. But that again, burns one year of his entry level. And it's just another thing where these guys are developing and performing at such a high level. Now that you're going to put pressure on your organization to try to, you know, ha- to try to fit you in essentially to try to, fit you within what you want to do with that cap space, where you're going to put these other guys. Because when I look at Minnesota, like you're going to have a Matt Boldy, you're going to have a Carl Kaprasov that uh, excellent. These guys are going to probably be your all-stars moving forward. But again, like when these guys emerge, you're going to have like a 37, 38 year old Zach Parise still making 7.5 million. Right. And Ryan Suter. And Ryan Suter, which uh. I didn't mention Ryan Suter because he's still playing at like a, pretty solid all-star level right Parise like I know there's been a lot of the injuries here and there so like he hasn't been able to kind of play that scrappy kind of game he's accustomed to right is Boldy a guy we could see in the NHL like I could imagine them get him them giving him a few games this year but a little more regularly starting next season yeah I think so um so many factors have been going on so the COVID protocol list the injuries that I've wrote in an article about, about, you know, they've, they're a team that's used their taxi squad the most. Like they've emptied out the taxi squad at one point wow. and they still found a lot of success. So I think Dean Evanson is someone that is going to experiment with that, that you're going to still see a lot of the younger guys come up and get the opportunities because they've been able to find success. Even when it's not a consistent lineup. Right. Um, is there anything else you want to say? about Matthew Boldy or Spencer Knight before we move on. We have a little bit of breaking news, by the way. Yes. Um, I just like to say that I think Spencer Knight's a fantastic goalie. And for all the people that said that I had a Yaroslav Askarov bias, why can't we just like both of them at the same time? I guess, so we'll, I guess we yeah. can. We'll move uh, to the breaking news. Uh, yeah. So, it was just announced that our USA Hockey announced that. Sorry, it's just a little funny. Blackhawks Stan Bowman will be the general manager of the 2022 Olympic team, along with Bill Guerin, who will be the assistant general manager. <sighs> Why? Wow. I think Bill Guerin, I don't have anything against. Bill Guerin. I think what he obviously like. I think I had him for um, as my midseason. Um, what's it called? GM of the Year award. Sorry, Jim Gregory, Jim, GM of the Year award. But the Jimothy Stan award, Bowman yes. one, the what? The Jimothy the award. Jimothy yeah. award. Uh, but the Stan Bowman one, like, why? I think it's just another thing of you know he's really well respected in the community. You know, in the U.S. hockey community that right. I mean, why not? I think the yeah, last time it was David Poyle that, again, is another long-time name of a guy. Um, 
Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I think it's going to be different this time. Like, you know, he doesn't have a cap to kind of manage. That is true. Yeah. That is true. You make a good point. Yeah. You make a good point. No, I, I just think I, I really like the Bill Garrett one. Maybe that's, uh, I guess, grooming him in a way to say, hey, this is this is what it is. I, I guess I can see him being one of the guys for the next, I don't know, while like he's just got his first general manager job in the NHL and he's done a pretty damn good job so far. Uh, It's like the one thing, especially being the fact that he was, he got Kirill Kaprasov over. I feel like we don't talk a whole lot about or enough about like that is how many GMs have, how many times have they've tried to do that now? Yeah, they they've really tried it. And I think that he was willing to do the gambles with it where a lot of teams were kind of work like a lot of other like I know I remember Chuck Fletcher and you know Paul Funden, they were very kind of unsure about what was gonna happen with the future. But I think Garen took the risk knowing that he's gonna burn one year of his entry level and you're gonna have to pay the guy a lot sooner than later. And he's kinda helped set up that situation with the expiring deals he has, but yeah, it's Stan Bowman. I think it's just, it's funny. It's like if you asked this, what, three, four years ago, I'd be like, all right, yeah, you know, he's a solid kind of solid now. But when you look at where the team is at right now, where, you know, they're performing a, beyond what we kind of expected for them. It's it just, it's another situation where it's like, you know, there were a lot of other people you could have, you could have thought of before you kind of gave him this, this job. Right. But again, yeah, there's no cap space, so <laughs> I think he's gonna be okay. <laughs> I guess he'll be fine. Then I, it's not a big deal. He doesn't. He doesn't have to uh, trade anybody. Yeah, any big players. So I guess. I guess that's the the positive there. Last thing before we get to the Leafs and the Habs, I, I there's not much to. We don't have to spend a whole lot of time on it. I just wanted to bring it up because I thought it was hilarious when I saw it. Have you seen the video of Eric Carlson? Um, which one was that one? With the it apple. Was. Yes. So I, I just brought this up because I put it in the doc. I said, like, I'm not, I don't want to bash the reporter. I just think it's such a funny, it's such an interesting way to form, to put that question. Like, was this your best ever offensive performance? Well, no, like maybe in San Jose, I, I don't know, but of his career, no, like he dragged that Ottawa team to the conference finals. They were one goal away from the Stanley Cup final, and you're and you're asking if that was his greatest per- performance. I just and the way he bit the like the apple, oh, just fantastic. Yeah, I, don't, I you know, it, it's a sigh of relief because. Remember two weeks ago, Eric Carlson went, you know, came out and said that, you know, like I left a rebuild to not go to another one. Right. And things are, you know, it's not really his cheery self. You know, he's not MVP level Norris level right now at all, but we're just happy he's healthy. So he's getting there. But again, like it, it's a cheery thing to kind of look back on now that, that the Carlson uh, personality is still there despite san jose's you know situation there yeah like it's a it's a tough situation it it got bad really really fast there and it's really unfortunate i don't know how many people actually how many people saw that coming like i did not see that coming but i just 
just the series of events, the sequence of events that happened there, I just thought were hilarious. And I did want to bring that up and uh, what you thought about that. Um, okay. Would you like to do the Leafs or the Canadians first? Those are the Canadians first. We know that we have some dedicated listeners that want to hear that immediately. That is true. Uh, well, there's a couple things. So since last episode, they actually played their first game um, since uh, having their games postponed. Boy, that was a fun, like I had it on in the background and, and I saw Adam talking about it. It was obviously their first shutout of the season uh, and with Carey Price and obviously Carey Price was in net for that. We'll get to the McDavid thing in a little bit, but I, I think they came out just absolutely booming. Um, the, I think the game ended for not it ended for nothing. Like it was just, it was just incredible. What I it was it was like the team I saw at the beginning of the year in a way. To me, yeah, yeah, they were definitely flying out there. They were, they they were uh, definitely um Jeez, can't speak. They were definitely flying out there, and I think I really hope like that's what we're seeing moving forward. Um, and maybe who knows? Like, I don't want to say that five day break where everything was closed was good for them, because I don't know if that's necessarily true. But it did give them rest. And the unfortunate thing about that is, though, that now they have to play like 24 games in 46 nights, something around that. Like they're playing pretty much playing every other night. And that's tough. That's going to be tough. Yeah, for sure. Um, What I liked about the last game is like when I said they're on they're flying out there, like they really came out there. And I, I remember Adam did retweet that, you know, that was such a Gallagher goal. Like that was also when they, you know, they scored 18 seconds in. That that the Gallagher goal I think was the second goal, second uh, or third goal. Ch- I will yeah. double check. But it's just like a lot of these classic things that were kind of going on that, in a way, like it, that's subtle. Like the Montreal Canadiens are back from what we saw at the beginning of the season that they're playing their game and they were able to shut out a a pretty solid team that they kind of took the momentum that they had from it and they just ran with it. Uh yeah, Gallagher was the third goal. Okay. Yeah, I, th- I think you're 100% right. And now the important thing is moving from this game to the next game, the next game. Because I feel like that what seemed to be their thing. I think we always knew that they were a good team. I don't think that was ever up for discussion. I think it, it just felt like first under Claude and then a little bit under Dominic Ducharme the consistency wasn't always there or maybe they just weren't getting the right bounces, which listen, like every team goes through a spell like that where they don't get the right bounces. I'm glad they're back because I think it makes the Canadian division and that battle for like, I don't know if you have the standings up, but if you look at the standings, it kind of seems like that top four is pretty much set. Mm-hmm. Um, like Toronto, it's going to be a variation of Toronto, Winnipeg, Edmonton, Montreal, in whatever order. Like Calgary is four points back of Montreal, but Montreal has five games in hand. They are 10 points back of Edmonton. 
And then that's the exact same for Vancouver because Vancouver's tied. They're both tied on points. So, I mean, we could have a just a magical thing happen and Vancouver and Calgary step up their game. I don't know if that's going to happen. But I think if Montreal is back to what they were before, it really heats things up in this division. And yeah, I think I can... it makes it more exciting. Sorry, go ahead. No, no worries. I agree that they just had to keep getting keep getting there. Like I think that there still could be a very competitive team in the North Division. But again, what Will Baldwin mentioned that they really have to know how to finish their game. I think last last night was was great. Everything went well, but you know they have nine overtime losses. That that's something they really need to overcome because you know that's gonna hit them a bit more later on. That they have to win in regulation that they have to be able to also, you know, keep, keep that momentum going, even in extra time that they have to be able to know how to finish efficiently. And I think last night they really did show it. Yeah. And, and like, even if I think if all they did was get better at overtimes, like that's four or five more points, let's say if they, that you get rid of half of those overtime losses that gets them even closer to Edmonton and they have five games over Edmonton. Right. So, mm-hmm. and I know we're looking with hindsight here, but like what, what they're probably going to be in more overtimes, right? Like, I don't think that they're just not going to, that's not going to not happen. Right. So I guess coming out, you're right. Coming out with the two points is really important, especially in this division. Because every single point and every single game counts because you are playing your own division. Mm-hmm. That's it. And no, it's surprising to me. I didn't know this was Carey Price's first shutout of the year. So I think that it's a good it's a good thing signs of a good sign of things to come. That you know he's been he's he's gotten there. You know, there was a bit of that rough stretch, but he, he's getting there. Yeah, he's he's I, I think a lot of things when it goes bad, it, it, it goes like, it's completely yeah. blown out of proportion. Um, and I don't think he was that go- that goalie where it was that poor stretch. I think he is a much better goalie than that. And I think most people would tell you the exact same thing. Um, should we move on to the hit? Yeah, I think that's that's one thing I think about too. Where I think about momentum, where you know they didn't really lose their core even even before then with the you know the high stick on Josh Anderson. That was a few things that you know that could have rattled Montreal, but they kept going. And man, if that was I don't know, it just I know frustration was boiling over, but man, Connor McDavid, I didn't expect that. I I don't know what I'm like. I feel like I'm just saying the same thing over and over and over again. Like that was, I don't care what you say. And you can have an issue with the 5k. And I I think there's an issue there, right? It clearly should be more like that's pennies on the dollar to these guys. That's nothing. Even a guy making $900,000 at five, five K it really isn't much, much to them. That's a that's a separate issue. That's not probably not, not going to change anytime soon. Like the CBA is kind of in place for six more years, I think, at this point. 
risk. But I believe that should have been suspendable. Like he not only did he go up, but he got his head. Yeah, that was a clear charge that there was there was motivation there to to do something. And I don't know, like this one thing I kind of see, too, is like with a lot of broadcasts, people are kind of tiptoeing around it. That's like, oh, Connor McDavid was frustrated. So this thing kind of happened. But it's just it it just like it just call it for what it is. It's a dirty play. It, yes, I, I would I would argue that as well. The thing I don't I don't understand what the hesitancy here is to suspend this. You literally not even how long ago was the Tim Peel incident? Uh, uh, less than a week now. Was it not last weekend? A little over a week, I believe. We you you royally got screwed. The the league said like they got found out here. Yeah. And you had the opportunity to say, hey, we care about head hits. We're going to do this properly. And you fine him $5,000. And I get that's the maximum allowed. I fully understand that. But let's take away the, the number. Let's just say a fine and a suspension. He should have been. That is a suspendable act. That is larger than. If he just got like he should have got fined, no, he should have got suspended. Yeah, I, I don't know, I, I don't know why there was a bit of a slow process there where, really, like, case okay, like think of the same play, but it's Zach Cassian, like that that's automatically suspendable it's right not, there. It's that's suspended. We that's saw- gonna be a thing we're gonna re we're gonna see in the replay. Every time saying, oh, look at this typical Zach Cassian play. But no, it was a star player. The, the thing I saw, it, um, I can't remember what player it was. And it just came to me. A guy got cross-checked in the face. And like not the Brendan Gallagher thing. This is like, this is like within a week of, of now. And there was nothing. Nazim Kadri cross-checked... Um, Jake DeBrusque in the face and got suspended for the entire series. So is it like there's no consistency? And that's the thing. That's the thing I, I I'm so frustrated with. Not that they're not making the calls. That is frustrating, right? They're not making the calls that they should be making. That's frustrating. They're not even consistent. You go to one place, you go to another place, you go to a different place, you go to a different place. They're all different. They're all different things, man. If a guy gets hit in the head, in that case, in this scenario where it is blatantly, he goes up. It's not like Kotkaniemi came down at the last second. McDavid went up. That is suspendable. Like how much, how many times do I have to say this? This is going to backfire on them and it has already started. There is already a lawsuit. Like, I don't know what else to say. Like, I I feel like I should just cut the clip from the last time I got upset and just throw it in there and change the names because I'm repeating the same thing. And it's frustrating that I have to repeat it every single time. That's what I think about when the consistency, because again, I think it's just, this is just such a special case because it is arguably the best player in the league doing this, but should it matter? It, it shouldn't matter, but that's the thing. 
the counter. Like he gets suspended, he gets the fine. Like you'll show consistency. Like what is it going to really do for the game right now? Is it going to show like oh the like it's just going to show I guess as a fan that there's accountability there. It's it, it has nothing to do with the special treatment aspect of this. That like I, I I'm just trying to look for that different side of things like what would be the uproar like why would there be an even an uproar if Connor mcdavid got suspended because he's a star that would be the uproar has Sidney crosby been suspended i'm just thinking that is a good question i want to say he has been but i i i i don't think i don't remember the thing i think you're i don't know who would be outraged that's a great question and I think here's the people who would be outraged. Euler fans. Just like if Tom Wilson gets suspended, uh, Washington fans are outraged. Like, oh, that's not a suspendable hit. That's too many games, whatever, whatever. But I'm sorry. There, I, I'm like, there's protecting the stars, which I'm like, hey, here's my thing. I just want the rule book called. I don't care if there's 500. Like, yes, I would be upset if there's 500 penalties a game. But after when they made the rule changes from like three lockouts ago or two lockouts ago, there were more penalties. Did that eventually go down? Yes. Why? Two reasons. Number one, the players figured it out. And I'm very sure players will figure it out again. They are very smart human beings. And number two, general managers are not going to sign guys who consistently take penalties because when you go five on four, it is not good for your team. Like, yeah. I don't I don't know why this is such a hot top, hot debate, hot take debate. I'm not saying get rid of hitting. I don't think any like any time we've discussed this. It's get rid of hitting. It's number one, get rid of head hits. And number two, call the damn rule book. Yeah. It's 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 a bit it's getting a bit ridiculous at this point where really I think you know when you keep re-watching that play, there was there was intent there. There was that charge towards Kok and Yemi that you know this would have been a good a good opportunity with the whole Tim Peel thing, you know. Like still fluttering around the media that the league could have done something to kind of show this. Like, this is an example, like, you know, take like that. No one is above the rule book that no one is above what, what's been mandated by the league that, you know, even a Connor McDavid could get a suspension. And I tried looking for a city Crosby suspension. I could not find one. So maybe he's never been suspended. Yeah. That's the, that's the thing. I think the thing that frustrates me and, and I, and I saw Adam talking about it this morning. This is the fourth player or the fourth time. I think it was actually twice with Kotkin Yemi, but the fourth time someone has had a head hit and a clear head hit. Like it's not, it's not just, Oh, it, like, you know, he bent over. He did this. He did that. No, 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 no. He got hit in the head. Like there was, it looked like he was going up there. Like, where was Mc? Sorry, where was McDavid's elbow going? It was going up. Was it, it like? It's not like it was going into his chest. Okay, Yemi's not a short guy. You know, you can't use the Tyler Myers, <laughs> Joel Armia argument right. here. No, like it's just it's it's fr- it's frustrating that 
they don't want to do any, that they're not doing anything. And it's like, we're okay. I guess we'll just kick this issue down the line when it becomes an issue. Like guys, it's already an issue. Do you want, like, do you want to pour more money into a garbage bag that then you have to now give to lawyers to fight your battle? No, I, I don't think they do, but it seems like they want to sometimes. Yeah. That's my issue. We'll see how this kind of goes on. How hopefully this raises a bit more discussion of consistency with the calls. I hope next I hope next off season there is some type of discussion with the referees and the rule book and and whatever needs to be done cuz I'm tired having the same discussion like 10 times during a season. Not that I don't love talk like don't love talking about it. I guess like it's just it's frustrating saying the same thing over and over and over again. And it's not and, and nothing's changing. I feel like I'm going insane. <laughs> um one last thing with Montreal here. Obviously last week Eric Stahl um was traded to Montreal. He's now quarantining they're gonna have to make another move here uh there's a couple options there's our there's armia there's lekanen paul byron those are the guys who make not significant chunk of money but movable money movable money in a way i'm guessing we're gonna have to see something soon like i think everyone uh, uh including adam is anticipating this move to come soon and I hope as well it comes soon because I'd like a trade. Which is funny. Yeah, me too. But what's funny is uh, before I came on to this episode, I was going to say, you got to trade Paul Byron. And then he has two assists last night. But again, I still think that, you know, if you could move him, even though he's an assistant captain, I think you'd do it because he's getting $3 million a year. And they have a lot of forwards, you know, like Lekkanen and Armia, they... They're solid guys. They're a lot. They're not a lot younger, but they are younger, and they can still both play the power, the, the penalty kill. So maybe find something to find Paul Byron, but you know that's 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 unrealistic. I find right now. I think that you're gonna have to look at like a Lekkanen who is really struggling to get into the lineup. Well, he had two points last night. Yeah. So like, <laughs> I don't know. You're, we'll you're, see. Now uh, the value better start going up. That's his first. That was his first game. Well in 10 days, but it has been a little sporadic looking at the last five games is when he's, when he had played. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'd like to see something soon because I'm a little bored. Um, and also trades who like, do, don't you like trades? That's true. Um, I'm looking at this now where it's, it's the 31st. Yeah. Maybe by our next Wednesday episode, we're going to still see that because Again, the Canada seven-day quarantine. So maybe we'll see something even before then, before the April twelfth trade deadline. I oh, I think I think we I think we will see something soon. I have a feeling we'll see something before this. Like I already know after this episode, we're gonna like see at least something. That's gonna be funny. I'd be a little upset. (laughs) I'll be a little upset that I have to wait to talk about this, to talk about whatever trade that it was. Um, is there anything you wanted to bring up 
about Montreal? I just, again, I hope the consistency continues and they keep rolling because they are a fun team. And if they can solve the overtime uh, woes, then it's going to be a very competitive North division. That, that is true. Uh, there's not a whole lot to talk about with the Leafs um, just because really hasn't been a whole lot of chatter in terms of trades. Like it's been the two, those two weeks went by real quickly Yeah, and no one made a trade, which is unfortunate. And I feel like there's going to be a lot of, <laughs> I've seen a little bit of it. It's like, well, was Kyle Dubas playing his hand? a little too early here. It's like, okay, maybe, but I do think this seven day quarantine, the reduction from 14 to seven days will help a little bit. And I think it gives the team a little more time to make that trade. Um, But in terms like, I, I haven't really read anything of significance that says, well, something's happening imminently or very soon. Um, but they did play Monday night. They do play again tonight. Uh, Monday, they played Edmonton. I thought they were the better team. Um, and, and that's kind of where I'm going. I, I wanted to go with this. They lost in overtime. Josh Archibald scored again. Apparently, that's my fault. Don't really <laughs> think it is. I thought they were the better team. They had Michael Hutchison in that. He was solid for what he was given. Like he was not bad, he but you know, serviceable for a guy that's gonna come in here and there. Yeah. No. So, no. Um, unfortunately, no. no. But here's the thing: like, <laughs> it's the. You're right. There's the reality is they're probably going to have to play them more than they like in the near future simply because number one freddie anderson did not travel with the team to winnipeg so that is a little concerning so but jack campbell is apparently starting tonight uh is what i've read so that is a good thing i i think the team is coming out of that slump i know they lost the game on monday but i what i've seen it feels like is the team progressively kind of coming out of that slump slowly. And I said it last episode that the slump actually might be a positive thing for the team, considering they need to face adversity. Yeah. Another, yeah. Yeah. Another example of that, like readjustment, kind of learning that things are not going to be smooth, that you're not going to have like those high octane offensive games all the time, that things are not going to always be rolling like that. And I think the Leafs have, kind of taken those strides the last two weeks to kind of really access like you know in the event of certain situations like how do we adjust how do we how how do we get get the best out of these moments where we're not exactly getting getting the bounces we're not exactly able to kind of set up those plays that we had in our mind originally of what was on the whiteboard originally and Definitely, I think that with the goaltending injuries, you know, Frederick Anderson, we don't know the severity of his injury or anything, but this again gives him enough time to be on the shelf for a bit and kind of also reassess his game because it, it hasn't been pretty. And just right now, like you're gonna get Jack Campbell, he hasn't 
he hasn't played, you know, Chris Johnson wrote about this. Like this is the biggest stretch this guy has had in terms of starting in terms of success. It's really the real juniors. And this is his moment. This is something that you could kind of show and prove that, you know, you could be an everyday NHL or now. Yeah. And I think this next, you know, they, they play Winnipeg tonight and Friday, and then they go and play Calgary back to back. I think these two games against Winnipeg are going to show a lot because they're what, again, they're one of the teams that are fighting for that first place in the division. And the last few games against Winnipeg have looked, they, they have the potential to be really fun. Yeah. Um, stressful for Lee fans, but fun in general. And yeah, it's it, but both team. I think it's a matter of both teams being there. That's when it's maximum fun. Yeah, of course. You know, we've mentioned Pierre Luc Dubois just fit in seamlessly with this team, and right. it's it's something definitely too. Where like the Leafs now, I think that a lot of teams have really adjusted to. The idea of like who they are, of the the pieces they they were able to get maybe in the offseason or this season that you know they they've solidified those that I think now is gonna be the most important stretch because these teams know what they are, they know what they're capable of, and really it's just gonna be more of a fight to the finish to see who makes those four playoff spots. Right. Yeah. I, I agree. It, 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 the next few games, like the next few games for this team, even against Calgary, I would say, are really important in saying, how are we getting out of this slump? Because I think they've started, but I don't think they're out of it yet. Like no. I still, it, it still looked, I would say, a, a little bit on the sloppier side, but I think they are coming out of it. And I think that's the important thing that they learn that they can do. And I said last episode that they can get out of this slump. They can um, and they will. They can and they will. Before I end the episode, anything else that you'd like to talk about them for the Maple Leafs? Again, I'm going to keep watching Jack Campbell, see how he can do in consecutive starts, what he's going to be able to do, you know, during a bit of like this mini stretch that he's going to be given the opportunities. And I wish him the best. Yeah, that's, uh, that is true. I'm scrolling through Twitter. I do not see anything. So I am going to end the episode in hopes that nothing comes up. All right. Uh, well, thank you for listening to another episode. Uh, if you liked it, give us a review on, if you can, on whatever you're listening to. Uh, make sure to check out the Facebook page, the Twitter page, the Instagram page. Check out the YouTube page. I forgot to plug it in the middle of the episode. My bad. Um, make sure you follow, leave a comment, do whatever you want to do. Uh, Again, thank you to Voice Ed for being a wonderful platform. Check out Daniel's work at the Hockey Writers. Um, check out Adam's YouTube page. And I think that is everything, correct? Yeah, he is everything. I think that is everything. See you guys next episode. Bye, guys.